What happened to Tyree Nichols at the hands of five Memphis officers was wrong, was not police protocol, and those officers will be held accountable by the court of law. What those five officers did does not represent policing in America, and it sure as hell does not give anyone license to attack innocent officers or destroy property. The show starts now. By now, much of the world has seen the disturbing body cam footage of 29-year-old Tyree Nichols being beaten to death by five Memphis police officers. What those five officers did was wrong, was uncalled for, and was criminal. And that is why they will be held accountable in the court of law and have been swiftly charged with second-degree murder. So if you're one of those thugs, those degenerates, those losers who used the death of Tyree Nichols to vandalize, loot, and destroy... You did not do it in the name of justice. You used Tyree as an excuse and a cover to act like a fool, destroy and take things that don't belong to you. And if that's how you honor someone's life, you really need to get a grip on yourself and your behavior because that ain't it. And even worse, if you use the death of Tyree Nichols to vandalize, loot and destroy in a city that ain't even Memphis, in a state that ain't even Tennessee, you're a jackass and you're a criminal, period. And if you're a race baiter in the media who used the death of Tyree Nichols at the hands of five black police officers to yet again push your theory of rampant racism and white supremacy, you are delusional and you probably work for MSNBC, CNN, or the DNC. In a recent opinion piece on CNN.com, Van, um, you wrote, the police who killed Tyree Nichols were black, but they might still have been driven by racism. And I was struck by the part of the piece where you wrote this. One of the sad facts about anti-black racism is that black people ourselves are not immune to its pernicious effects. Society's message that black people are inferior, unworthy, and dangerous is pervasive. Over many decades, numerous experiments have shown that these ideas can infiltrate black minds as well as white. Self-hatred is a real thing. Um, so you believe this racial bias played a role in the officers' behaviors? Yeah, I, I do because, um, first of all, uh, uh, black people are at risk from police no matter what color. Uh, black, white, brown, you talk to African Americans, I'll tell you, um, it, it doesn't matter. There's this per pervasive view from law enforcement that if you're black, you're dangerous. And I think some people think, oh, well, so a white police officer going after a black person, you understand the racial implications. The problem is uh, there are whole neighborhoods that in many cities are just considered by police departments kind of war zones and anything goes there. And so um, I think we have to have a more nuanced view of what's going on to root out a racism. It's not just about having black cops or white cops or brown cops. It's about having cops that are trained to respect everyone and who are disciplined and punished when they don't. And when you don't have that in place, uh, black people are at risk no matter the color of the police officer. Now, Van Jones has become a friend of mine over the years, and I respect him, but this notion that black officers beating a black man is due to white supremacy is some messed up logic and delusional at best. Not everything is about race, Van. Sometimes bad or unprofessional people do bad and unprofessional things not because of the color of their skin. Melanin does not determine character. Enough with this constant race baiting. You can't blame white people for everything, liberals. That's a cop-out, no pun intended. And guess what else? If you want better officers with better training, perhaps defunding the freaking police and riding at the site of a proposed public safety training center isn't the answer, geniuses.
I just can't with these people. It's no damn wonder our country is so divided, and it's no damn wonder our innocent and decent officers are being attacked and ambushed in record numbers. But what, if anything, could have been done to prevent the death of Tyree Nichols at the hands of those officers? Joining me now is Connecticut Fraternal Order of Police President John Krapinski. John, I want to thank you for coming in. We've got a lot to dive into, so I want to start right off the top here with what happened in Memphis. I know that you've seen the body cam footage. What was your first reaction when you saw it? You know, when I, when I watched the video, and, and I watched them all, uh, you see the first video when it came out. Um, when I looked at that, initially, when they took him out of the car and they put him down on the ground, really the incident probably could have been over and should have been over. But what you were seeing is their inability to get him into handcuffs at that time. And, and there's some reasons for that. Back in the 80s, 90s, you would see what we would call dog pile on a rabbit, where we would get all five officers on top of the suspect. Uh, somebody would gain control of a hand, get a cuff on it, roll them over and get that second cuff on. If you notice the first portion of that video, um, the force used was minimal. There was no body compression because since George Floyd, that's been ruled that they don't want anybody doing that anymore. So it was kind of a play the game and try to coax him into the handcuffs. They gave him directives. He didn't follow any. And ultimately, he was able to get up and run away. Um, the incident probably should have ended right there, but that didn't happen. Yeah, again, watching it, I am still so confused here because everything that we know thus far that the media has reported, this was a traffic stop that he was pulled over for reckless driving suspicion and then it escalated to that point i still feel like there's a lot of missing pieces to this puzzle here but what i still can't understand from watching it and it was gruesome and it wasn't very disturbing is why this young man would not give those officers his hands they asked for him repeatedly 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 and he did not do it and then he tried to flee I don't know if this is something now that we're just seeing in policing over the last several years, if it's been popularized. But when you watch it, is this something that you're seeing more frequently now in the last several years? Yeah, 100%. Um, Tommy, this all goes back to the demonization of policing. When you remove respect from policing, and the policing field used to command probably some of the most respect of any field out there. That has kind of been removed from us over the last five to eight years. And once you do that, people think it's okay to fight. People think it's okay to resist. People think it's okay to flee. So yes, we are seeing more of that. And when that happens, unfortunately, things escalate. And then like in this case, things get out of control. They certainly did get out of control. And again, the video is very disturbing. Anybody that watched it is disturbed by it. We know that these officers have been charged with second degree murder, which I want to get to you on that point. But first, this notion of resisting arrest. Now, anytime someone like myself says, hey, don't resist arrest, because if you feel like you've been unjustly arrested or anything has gone wrong during that traffic stop or incident, you can take that up in the court of law and get your justice when you're alive and breathing. If you resist arrest, there's always going to be a chance that something is going to go wrong, and it did in this case, as it has so many other cases. So as somebody who is a police professional who knows so many officers, what do you say to those out there that have been maybe conditioned to believe that resisting arrest is the way to go? Well, I mean, we see the results time and time again. I don't know what it would take for somebody to realize that. You know, everyone gets their day in court. Not every arrest is perfect. Um, 
and people have an opportunity to go to court and defend themselves as to what they think they did or did not do. And, and that's how it's supposed to be handled. That's the system we have in place. Once you don't do that, things can go away quickly, which we saw in this case here. Things got out of hand. Things were done that were inappropriate. And, and now, you know, a young man is dead. I want to talk about the charges on these officers. They were swiftly charged, which I think a lot of people in the community were happy to see, second-degree murder charge. Do you think that that was the right charge in this case? And if you were somebody overseeing it, is that the recommendation that you would have made? Um, again, in each state, the laws are different. I am not as familiar with the laws out there, obviously, as I am here. I What I'm waiting for, and no one seems to be talking about, they must obviously have had it. I'd like to see an autopsy report to see the cause of death. I think that would work towards understanding the charges a little better. We have yet to learn that at this point in time in the investigation. Yeah, there's still a lot of unanswered questions. And unfortunately, we've entered into a media atmosphere where asking any questions is usually deemed inappropriate. But questions are still important to ask because we're talking about the justice system or we're talking about a tragedy that could have resulted in riots and protests and, and these kind of things happening. But I want to get your take on this. Although there was some upheaval over the weekend, some protesting in Memphis, mostly peaceful around the country, you know, of course, in New York, they were stomping on police cruisers as they normally do. In L.A., they were vandalizing police headquarters. We know this. But this wasn't nearly to the level that we saw with George Floyd. Now, people like myself would say it's because they weren't able to weaponize race like they were in the George Floyd case because of the race of both the victim and the officers. Do you think that that's coming into play here? Yes, that's the bottom line. Um, had it been five white officers, I believe the country would have been torn up as it had been in the past. Um, that that was the one thing out of this whole incident that I think calmed things down a little bit. Yeah, I, to me, though, um, that's really difficult to believe that people are not just upset about injustice, that they're upset about race more than injustice. Because you would think that it just should be a matter of if you are somebody that's passionate about ending police brutality or whatever you see as a problem in policing, the race shouldn't matter to the extent that it does, but it certainly does. That's the next question I have for you. Now, there's been some discussion as well about that particular department in Memphis and some of the, the police chief and some of the hiring practices that have changed over the last couple of years, lowering the standards, introducing more diversity quotas and things of that nature. Does that play a, a role in this case and in others like it? And what is kind of your warning about this new method and practice in policing we're seeing today? 100% it does. And Tommy, I'll bring this all the way back uh, when we go back into the uh, George Floyd problem and, and protest after that. Immediately, and you're seeing the left circling right now, calling for more uh, re police reforms. And I said way back then, Reforms come in different ma manners. You know, they want to defund the police. Well, what you're seeing now is some of that problem of defunding the police. And when we say defunding, it doesn't mean that they close them down. It means that budgets were, were slightly cut. One of the problems here, I think every law enforcement professional across the country realized that the immediate attempt to handcuff those guys, th that suspect, the training involved wasn't there. They didn't have the ability to properly get the job done. And what I've seen, and I, 
I called for this when I testified at our police accountability bill. I said to our legislators, if you really want change and you want accountability, let's start with training. We need to train the officers differently. I continue to hear the left all over the media about a police culture where you haven't thrown any money at it to change anything. Training is the number one thing. And I will tell you now, we're not seeing any more training across the country since George Floyd up until today. And I don't have a whole lot of hope that the politicians are going to put up money to get that done in the future. Now, secondly, when you continue to demonize the police, when nobody wants this job, and it's pretty clear right now, America should realize nobody wants this job anymore. And back in 2020, I made the statement, what are you going to do when all the good cops leave and nobody wants this job? Well, this is what they're doing. They've reduced standards across the country. In some departments, you can be hired with a felony now. In the past, a misdemeanor would get you disqualified. But in their zest to put warm bodies on the street to cover cities, they're hiring anybody and everybody. And Tommy, I'm going to tell you right now, in the future, this is going to get worse, not better with that practice. Yeah, it certainly is. And, you know, just last weekend, I, the previous weekend, there was riots and protests in Atlanta over the construction of a proposed public safety training center. So isn't that ironic that from one weekend to the next, we talk about better training, but the weekend prior, you were protesting at what you called a cop city that was designed for more training for police officers. I mean, it's insanity, the delusion of some of these people. But what is wild to me, and I want to talk about policing, we covered it a little bit, but there has been several articles out there, of course, right after this happened in Memphis, that are still trying trying to blame systemic racism and white supremacy for what happened. There has been several articles, several pundits have already put that out there, that the reason this happened is because deep within them, these black officers hated themselves because there's an anti-blackness in this country and in policing. When you hear something like that attributed to a case like we saw in Memphis, what are your thoughts? Well, look, clearly in this case, I don't think race played any part of it. All the officers were black. The suspect was black. Again, had it been white officers, you'd see a, an entirely different response in this country. But that didn't happen because of that. And hats off to Memphis. They've hired pretty close to the ratio of black officers to the black percentage of citizens in their, in their community. So how they're calling this a racist issue, it's beyond me. But that's what the left always does. Everything goes back to race with them. Yeah, it's super unfortunate because we could be making strides and having real community protection and real reforms and real training. But when you use race as a wedge issue over and over again, you're always going to stop there because you're focusing only on those issues and not on the actual issues of how to respond to an incident like this. Last question I have for you, because yet again, although this is nothing in comparison to what we saw after George Floyd, but again, there's another incident. There's still officers that are bracing for mayhem because of it. What is the morale like for officers that you speak to, that you work with now in this country, and yet another incident like this happens and more demonization and wave of media coverage is piling on? Well, exactly what I said earlier. This all contributes to nobody wanting this job. I will tell you, morale and policing across the country is non-existent. Many, many guys, and, and I've heard this over and over since this incident, Officers saying if they never stopped them, none of this would have happened. And, and they are right. 
um, it would have alleviated the incident. So where do we go from here? To get better officers in your community, you have to have community backing. You have to have backing of your chief. You have to have backing of your mayors. Until these things happening, and it's not widespread across the country right now, that's the reason that morale is what it is. One of the other things, Tommy, that nobody's really talking about, a lot of people have asked me, what are some solutions? Well, there are solutions. We talked about the training, but many, many people I've heard say, we need more community policing. We need to be at one with our community. And, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. But no one, not the federal government, not state governments, nobody is putting up one cent to, one cent to accomplish that. We have an awesome relationship with the people of our community in Danbury. Every year we do a huge picnic where the Fraternal Order Police and my guys go up. We supply the burgers, the dogs uh, for the community. And we've had zero problems when all of these other issues across the cities were going on. But you know where that money comes from? It comes out of our pocket. And God bless our chief, our deputy chief. They pull money out of their pocket. They'll give it to me to go fund these functions. But yet, you don't hear anybody in Washington, and I don't hear anybody at the Capitol in Hartford saying, what can we do to, to implement this across the country? They continue to say community policing, community policing. But to be a one with your community, there is a cost factor to it. Nobody seems to care. And beyond that, when you constantly demonize police, it doesn't make it easy for those officers to then engage with the community because there is a segment of the community that has been taught to fear officers and to hate officers from birth to death. And that is a big part of the problem here. 100%. And that's what you know we're trying to do to overcome. But we're constantly seeing. I, I heard one statement, and it, and it may be true, and I hope it doesn't come to that. But if you continue to demonize the police, you will only be able to hire demons in the future. They need to support the police and fund the police and train the police so things like this don't happen again. Uh, amen to that. And please, to all the officers that you speak with and work with, please let them know that the silent majority has their back. I certainly do. And that incidents like this, they might in the media cast a shadow on the entire law enforcement community. But to those rational, decent Americans out there, we still love and support the Thin Blue Line. So thank you for all that you do for policing. And thank you for being with me today, John. Thank you, Tommy. God bless. God bless you. Still ahead, former acting U.S. Secretary of Defense under President Trump, Cash Patel, joins me with what you need to know about Joe's classified documents and the impartial special counsel set to investigate it all. That's next. When A.G. Merrick Garland recused himself from the Biden classified garage slash closet document situation, he appointed special counsel Robert Hurry, Trump appointee that at face value seemed A-OK. <laughs> Not so fast. There's more than meets the eye here, or should I say her. Her blocked congressional subpoenas for the Russiagate investigation and argued against the release of the Nunes memo. Her has a history of protecting the anti-Trump FBI. So is the swamp on full display yet again? My next guest thinks so, and he's got the facts and the receipts to back it up. Joining me now is Chief of Staff to the Acting United States Secretary of Defense under President Trump, Cash Patel. So I'm sure that uh, watching everything going on in the last several weeks and probably not shocked by the Biden classified situation, <laughs> but I, I want to go into this Robert Herr fella here because everybody on the left 
says, hey, listen, this should be fine with you guys. This is your guy, Merrick Garland. He wants to be impartial. We should be so happy with this, and we're going to finally get transparency. Is that so? Uh, unlikely, but uh, it's great to be with you, Tommy, here in Nashville. Thanks so much for having me. Look, as a former federal prosecutor and the guy that knows the DOJ inside and out, Robert Herr is one of the worst that they could have put forward, but they did it intentionally. It's like when they picked Mueller. The special counsels serve a purpose on paper when there's an actual conflict like here. But what they do, instead of actually utilizing special counsels who can prosecute, they do ones that can cover up. I'll give you one example. Robert Herr was the number three attorney in the Trump administration at DOJ under Rod Rosenstein. He and Rod Rosenstein literally sent out and authorized subpoenas against me while I was running the Russiagate investigation for Devin Nunes. Didn't tell anyone, issued congressional, excuse me, subpoenas for my phone records, banking information, cell phone, emails, and everything while I was a senior staffer on the Hill. Just imagine if a Democratic senior staffer had been subpoenaed. And, that, and we only know about that because Google told me three weeks ago they have a five-year time limit, so no one knew. Wow. And there were 10 other people subpoenaed. And we don't know whether they sent it to Verizon or whether they got congressional emails, but they had to be signed off on specifically by Robert Hur, who, as you said, was blocking the release of Russiagate information. So there's a lot here. And we talk about the FBI, the DOJ. We talk mm -hmm. about the swamp. We talk about the unfair treatment. These classified documents, you know, for a couple of weeks, there was a lot of heat on Biden. Yeah. And then it pretty much fizzled out and that everyone was saying, well, Pence had classified documents. <laughs> Trump had classified documents. Everybody has classified documents. OK. And it seems like a lot of it really has been kind of covered up. People aren't as fired up about it anymore. Mm -hmm. But I want to know here, it feels like this was very timed. Like it was very calculated. Obviously, they knew about him before the election. They shut up. We, we know why. But then they didn't talk about the second batch that they found. Then they find more. I mean, it's reckless. It's careless. But it all feels very very calculated. I think you're onto something and something that almost no one's talking about. There are no coincidences in government. And as I call it by these government gangsters at DOJ, at FBI, at Intel, they don't just decide one morning, okay, now we're going to release everything. And the Hunter Biden laptop and the Biden classified document scandal, I believe, are intertwined. But there's no way, you know, being the former deputy director of national intelligence, there's no way the librarians at NARA woke up one morning and said, yeah. oh, hey, Joe, you have overdue classified books. Please return them. That's not how intel operates and that's not how law enforcement operates and we now have direct empirical proof hunter biden's laptop had an actual memorandum he created from classified information that he could only have gotten from the documents joe biden took on the ukraine then he memorialized that information himself and sent that memo to the ukraine and he received a seven-figure payday in return that is the very definition of stealing classified information pay for play and other violations of the federal statute. And I think this investigation started a year plus ago and it was timed, as you said, and these investigators in Congress have to demand what we call the origination documents from the FBI to prove it to the American people when it began. So maybe I'm a little naive here, but when you say they have to demand and mm. there is origination documents, that all sounds good. But as somebody who's just watched this play yeah. out after a number of years, it feels like, are we ever really going to get it, though? Because it seems like the entire system is so rigged against the conservative movement, <laughs> against Trump, against truth, really, that even though we've got House Republicans, now yeah. we've got Jim Jordan and others that mm. I think are really wanting to tackle this issue. It just feels like there's never really going to be true fairness. Um, you're not far off. I think we have a chance. You know, when we were running Russiagate, when I was Devin's chief investigator, we did one thing that hadn't been done in Congress in years. We issued 17 subpoenas, congressional subpoenas for not just people, but documentation. 
And Jim Jordan was a big part of our Russiagate scope back then, so he knows the fight. Now, Congress has one mechanism above all that nobody else can pull when they issue a congressional subpoena. We did it one time before in congressional history. They can take the money from the government gangsters that are running the DOJ, the FBI, and the IC. And I'm not saying take their operational funds. We need them to do the actual everyday work. I'm saying take the money that buys Chris Ray 10 new Cadillacs and allows him to fly to Davos on a government-funded jet. Take the money that gets Merrick Garland $100,000 in new furniture. Take their money and hold it. It doesn't have anything to do with the budgeting process. They can literally put this thing called a fence up around $10 million here, $5 million there. Documents will show up the next morning. We got 1,000 documents overnight the last time we did that during Russiagate. It's a real opportunity for accountability. It's just going to take some backbone in Congress. Help me connect the dots here because this all seems a little too close for comfort to me from the mm -hmm. beginning, from the get-go of this with the Hunter Biden in Ukraine and how the big guy was involved and then <laughs> now this information that you're telling me about what Hunter may have done, this, that, and the other, and then currently we're sending more resources, billions of dollars to Ukraine, sending Ukraine tanks. I mean, mm -hmm. it's an endless war. Is this all connected, loosely connected, or are there dots here, or is that just completely unrelated? No, I think it's all connected, and not even loosely to, to a certain degree. It's no coincidence that we're talking about the Ukraine and Hunter Biden's pay-for-play from Joe Biden's theft of classified documents relating to the Ukraine, dating back 20 years to his time in the Senate. It's no coincidence that we're talking about CCP and the Chinese government in the same fashion. These things are all interrelated, and the only way to prove it, as we did during Russiagate, is, is simple. Don't write memos. Don't write summaries for the American people. Show them the receipts. Put them out there for everybody to digest themselves and say, the one thing I learned is that the FBI and DOJ are so arrogant, they think they will never get caught. So they actually write down their own unlawful deeds because they think, oh, we're above board. We'll just write everything down. It's how we caught them in Russiagate, and it's, it's I think, how we catch them here. I mean, the Ukraine... Fiasco, when you have 55,000 homeless veterans and 24 of them committing suicide every day in this country, and we're sending $150 billion to the Ukraine along with tanks, do you know the Ukraine is going to be the next modern-day Afghanistan? And I've said tragically, we will have conventional forces, U.S. soldiers on the ground there inside of a year. Who's going to operate all this machinery sent them? Right. Well, that's something that I've been very passionate about yeah. as well. Uh, I don't trust Zelensky. I've said it on numerous yeah. programs, I don't trust Zelensky. I would like to see some kind of an audit of where we're sending this money and how <laughs> much of it and where it's going and how he's managing it because like I said, I don't trust him. Anybody that wants that much attention that shows up to speak to a joint session of Congress wearing a track suit, I don't trust you. <laughs> Put on a freaking suit. No, you're right. Billions of dollars. I don't trust him. I think he's slimy. He wants to be doing award show speeches and he wants the glitz and the glamour and he wants to be on the cover of Vogue. I don't like him. I don't trust him. I feel for the people of Ukraine, yeah. but that doesn't mean that I believe in sending a blank check to any country. It's very troubling to me. It's worse. So why I analogize it to Afghanistan and it's, it's terrible to be doing so, but it's factually accurate. When we sent money to Afghanistan, they have no banking infrastructure. So we literally flew in the United States military pallets, tons of hard cash. That's exactly what we're doing in the Ukraine. You want accountability. You want an audit. This Senate, who's passing this budgeting operation to go over there in the billions and billions of dollars, they can't track a single dollar because there is no banking infrastructure in the Ukraine that allows us to trace where we send money. They're literally flying it in. Zelensky's taking it like cars I did in Afghanistan for a decade on end, and he's giving it to his friends or he's putting it in his basement or he's having driven out of the country to whatever Switzerland. We have no idea... And then at the end of the day, he'll use some of that money to buy the tanks that we sent him, um, which is just the biggest defense industrial complex boondoggle. I think the defense industrial complex is worse than the lobbyists, worse than the white shoe law firms, and worse than the members of Congress. It is one we took head on in the Trump administration, and they did not like it. 
But it's going to take a lot more courage in Congress um, to shut those guys down. On both sides, because Republicans both. are yeah. just as guilty of this. When I say, oh, yeah. when I see Mitch McConnell say that our number one priority is Ukraine, I mean, put that on all of your reelection stuff. Then right. every Republican and every Democrat out there make Ukraine great again, because that seems to be the goal and the mission here. Last thing I want to ask you, because you brought up RussiaGate, we now have so much information mm -hmm. on this. We know what Adam Schiff did. We know how big tech was involved yeah. in all of this. And I ask every single person from the administration, from Congress, the same question. We know all this information now. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem to be moving the scale. People don't seem to care as much as they should. When I talk about people, mm -hmm. I don't mean people in D.C., people like you and me. I mean your average everyday person. Mm -hmm. They don't seem to be as shocked by all of this or as concerned at all of this as we are. And I don't know how we make that connection, if it's possible at all. We keep doing your show and all these great shows that keep talking about it because Russiagate's the perfect example. 50% of the country still thinks Donald Trump's a Russian asset thanks mm -hmm. to Adam Schiff and his buddy Swalwell. Um, we, we, you, we do shows all over the country and when we talk to live audiences, we, I see a breakthrough for the first time. They are like, look, we were actually lied to for five years. Now we know when you talk to us about the Hunter Biden laptop or the Joe Biden classified information scandal and how it's different from how Trump is being treated and how there's a two-tier system of justice that's been created by these government gangsters at DOJ and FBI, they're starting to listen. They're starting, it's, it's gonna take time. They're not watching CNN as much. They're not watching MSNBC as much. And they're listening less and less to the people that we've identified as corrupt officials. The way we do it, in my opinion, the best, is you have to get the documents to the American people. There's no show on earth. There's no theater in the world. There's no politician in the world that can just say, here's what happened, believe us. The American people, now I've gotten to the point where we have been lied to. You have to now show us. And so the government has to start, again, these agencies and departments need to start working for the American people and not having been hijacked to service their own egos. So I think if we get some documents, that's why I say Congress, don't do a thousand things. This isn't a shotgun approach. Give me like three investigations, DOJ, FBI, Fauci, and the border. Do three things well. And if you do that, you will win waves of people in the middle um, that never used to think they were conservative and might find themselves being so. I hope you're right about that. We're going to do everything that we can. <laughs> the American people should all care about being lied to. Yeah. No matter how they identify politically or otherwise, they should care. But thanks for everything that you're doing. And uh, more eyes to see how much we send over to Ukraine because I'm sure it's like a little ticker. Every day we just send a yeah. little more and a little more. And quite frankly, it really pisses me off. So <laughs> thank you so much for all that information. All right, and you have a, a book as well. We have a book plug for you. <laughs> government Gangsters, you said it so many times. What a wonderful title. <laughs> Exposes the deep state government corruption. Pre-sale now, out in June. This is going to be a good one. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for being in Nash Vegas. Welcome back it. anytime. Still ahead, I have a message for all the Thin Blue Line families who are once again being unfairly targeted and demonized right now. My final thoughts are next. In a time when it's cool to hate and demonize all of the nearly one million sworn peace officers in this country, based on the actions of a very small minority of bad apples, I want those who hold that thin blue line with honor and your families to know you are supported. It's time for final thoughts. It's no secret the last few years have been especially difficult for law enforcement officers. In the wake of George Floyd, our men and women in blue have received an unprecedented level of hate and shockingly unfair coverage and treatment by those in office and in the media who have never nor would ever put on that badge and uniform to protect and serve. Are there bad apples in the police force? Absolutely, just as there are bad doctors, bad nurses, bad teachers, bad parents, and bad kids. 
But to lump the nearly one million sworn peace officers with that very small batch of bad actors is not only unfair, it's supremely dangerous. To those who think or worse have been conditioned and trained to think law enforcement officers enter that line of work to get out their pent up racism, are you that dumb and delusional? Our officers make on average roughly $60,000 per year. They work horrible hours, weekends, holidays, late nights, and early mornings. They miss special moments with their friends and family so that we can be safe while we enjoy ours. They put their lives on the line each and every single day, never knowing what day could be the day they don't return home to their loved ones at night. And while all lives are precious, and certainly what happened to Tyree Nichols and others is pure tragedy, you know their names. Yet most Americans, even ardent supporters of law enforcement, can't name a single officer ambushed, gunned down, or senselessly murdered in the line of duty. They don't get the black squares or the months of rioting on their behalf. They barely get a passing headline. And in these last few years, they've been completely thrown under the bus by those who lack the courage to ever walk in their boots. They've been demonized, demoralized, defunded, degraded, and undermined by their fellow Americans, most of them for zero reason with zero cause whatsoever behind the color and badge they wear. So to those officers and their families who must now brace for yet another wave of attacks, degradation, and demonization, please know we the people still have your backs. We know that you don't stand for the actions of bad officers, and we know that those bad officers only make your jobs that more difficult and dangerous. We know you weep right alongside the families of victims like Tyree Nichols. We know the sacrifices you make and the love you have for people of all races, religions, and creeds. Do not let the loud yet vicious and vocal minority who hate you or think they do distract you from your mission, your calling, your good, and your honorable work. God bless the thin blue line and those who hold it and hold it honorably. Those are my final thoughts from Nashville. God bless and take care.